0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: In this episode of Boss Files, one-on-one with Gwyneth Paltrow, but not as Gwyneth the famous actress, rather Gwyneth the CEO, She's built Goop into a $250 million business, and it's growing a lot. But she tells me she still feels like an imposter sometimes as CEO. Do you still feel like an imposter as a CEO?
2: Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. Why? Well, I think there's just so much to learn. And and also, like, the provenance of, you know, how I got here, it's... Uh, unusual and I didn't, I didn't finish college. I, didn't, I don't have an MBA.
1: She's faced haters and big roadblocks along the way and acknowledged missteps. Today she has her eyes set on building something much bigger. What she's learned from Disney and why she reached out to Amazon founder Jeff Bezos for advice.
2: I said, you know, I would die for the opportunity to like sit down and ask you a bunch of questions and uh, he never wrote me back.
1: Seriously? <laughs> oh, man. No,
2: but he's got a lot going on. Jeff guys. Bezos,
1: Gwen's love... Paul? It's like the only guy that never wrote you back. No, I mean, no. He's, um, uh, what? He's, <laughs> what you... he's busy, he's busy. Would you ever sell Goop to Amazon? Would
2: I sell my company to Amazon? Uh, I mean, sure,
1: why not? Plus, why she's bringing a show to Netflix and her interest in the growing CBD business. Here's my conversation with Gwyneth Paltrow. Thanks to all the paparazzi who's here for me today. Really appreciate that.
2: Wow, <laughs> I'm really happy I ate all that barbecue yesterday. I right can about see now. it
1: in your face, Gwyneth, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> um, thanks to everyone for being here, and amazing line around. They waited for a long time yeah. to get in here, so this is wonderful. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. My, um, gosh, I mean, my memory of Goop goes back... About a decade when I first saw, maybe it was a pop-up in New York, and what it has grown to since is remarkable. If you don't know, uh, Goop is now valued its latest round of fundraising, two hundred fifty million dollars, about two hundred fifty employees. Uh, wow, how it has grown! But let's start on SNL. Did anyone see SNL? <laughs> <laughs> so you decide. To Are go. you guys going to
2: be here the whole time? Okay. I, okay. I can't. I'm so thrown off right now. Okay. It's <laughs> a
1: little tough. Yeah. Two-minute warning on that. Okay. Um, so SNL, and the reason I start with that is more than it was great television and it was very funny, you could be a comic in another life, but this was you taking on the haters, defying the haters, roasting yourself, and roasting goop. <laughs> and I'm interested in why you did it and what it should tell all of us about where you are right now. Um... Well, I think
2: it's important. To, I think it's really, you know, throughout this whole journey um, from kind of change of career and trying to build a company, I think it's really important to always have a sense of humor about everything in life. You know, life is, as, the, as uh, they say in Buddhism, it's, you know, to, to live is to struggle, to suffer. And so I think you really have to have a sense of humor about it as you, as you go through it. And... Um, you know, I think...
1: <laughs> Did you always laugh about all of it,
2: think. I think I always have had a sense of humor. You know, obviously, as I've grown up and matured and gone through things, I think you start to get a sense of, you know, you build kind of like a buffering capacity, and you become more self-aware, and you become um, less sort of entrenched in the idea of who you're supposed to be, and you kind of just accept who you are more, and... Um, I do think part of that is like getting an ease and and bringing humor in and 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 self awareness. Like we know that at Goop we've written about some things that have like seemed controversial at the time. Not really. And then um, and then, but it's interesting because by pattern recognition yeah. you see. Over time, these things that, you know, were like shocking or controversial, you see being like widely adopted in the culture. You see businesses popping up around these ideas. So I think we know, like if we're going to write about like a vaginal steam, um, that it's funny. And, um, and so we're going to, you know, be, but also at the same time, like we like to, we like to identify those things. Like what are the next healing modalities? and. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just like to ask questions about them, and then sometimes, you know.
1: Yeah, and we're going to get into all of that in a little bit. But for you personally, you call this the most fulfilled you've ever been in your life.
2: Why? Yeah. Well, um, I'm no longer in my 20s or 30s.
1: Yeah, but I like my 30s better than my 20s, and I hear my 40s are going to be better than my 30s. They are.
2: Good. So I love, I'm 46, and I love being in my 40s. Um, and I, I think this like incredible freedom almost comes with being a woman who's in her mid forties and, um, really understanding that like, this is who I am. And, um, I stopped worrying so much about what people think of me. I have two incredible children who give me a full run for
1: my money every day, (coughs) Which she told me back the age, I have a one and three year old, that it just gets harder from here.
2: Well, it gets harder (laughs) in different ways. It gets hard. You know, it's like when you have a one and a three year old, um, you're like basically on suicide watch all the time. This is true. Like, don't fall down the stairs. Right. Like, no, don't stick that in the socket. Don't hurl yourself off a balcony. Like, don't. So true. And when they're 13 and 15, basically, which are mine imminently. It's a whole other uh, set of. Yeah. Um, but then, just to finish the answer, like, I have this incredible company, and this I love my role, I love my team, I love the challenges that come with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I just feel, you know, it's like I wake up every day and it's not that, you know, I mean, I, I definitely have a full day, and it's very, my days are very challenging, but I feel very, I feel like I have a lot of agency, and I feel um, so thrilled by all the challenges, and so excited by how much there is to learn every day, and it's just a really fun time. Plus, I married a really hot guy in September, so. There you so. go.
1: Bravo. <laughs> like, Congratulations. Oh, is good. Thanks. Uh, I think the word agency is so critical. I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, Because I suppose when you are acting, you only have so much agency. Sure, you choose the scripts, et cetera, but you really have full agency now over what you're building. And as we dive deeply into Goop, which we'll do in a minute, I just want to touch on your dad and your mom. Um, Your father died when you were 30.
2: This is going to be like a Barbara Walters thing. We're gonna where i are going to try to keep NS the tears thing.
1: back. But I asked, Shit. kind of from a personal place, because my dad died when I was 15, and every single day I'm on CNN or here, he informs what I do and who I am. And and I read that your father said to you um, a lot of important things, but that you say he gave you a template for how one leads, consciously and unconsciously. Yeah. So how much of this and what you've become is because of him?
2: Well. I think that um, everything I am is because of him in a way, and my mother too. You know, she she was this incredible force on stage, and like she she sort of seemed like some kind of superhero to me when she was, you know, on stage doing checkoff or Tennessee Williams or something. And so she kind of showed me firsthand. Like what a woman can look and feel like when she's really harnessing her power. Mm -hmm. Um, But my dad was, I mean, he really was the love of my life until he died. And he was um, the funniest, sweetest, sometimes toughest guy around. And um, totally self-made, had a ton of grit. Um, taught me an unbelievable work ethic, um, and I think that you know he was the one that when I used to I always used to read the business section of the Times and you did he always you were used to, meant to be a CEO <laughs> he always used to like you know tease me um, about how you know like I secretly wanted to do business and I'm just sad that he's not here to see. Like i we moved offices the other day and we yeah. we moved into like a big grown up office in a building and um like my first thought was like god damn it you're gonna make me cry. Um uh, my first thought was I wish my dad, you know, was
1: here like doing this walkthrough. I, I think they know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how, but I think about mine a lot and channel him through. So he'd be very proud. you. Very proud. So she's the worst.: yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, a nightmare. OK. But it really is instructive in, in how we build things. And look, he saw the CEO in you before you saw the CEO in you. Let's talk about the philosophical crisis those are your words uh-huh. that brought you here today to goop or a decade plus ago because okay. you, you 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 described it by saying once you felt a lack of willingness to actually step into who I was mm-hmm. so why and when did you step into who you really are to build this
2: well I think that um as I said, like when I used to watch my mother on stage, I thought, well, that's what I want to do. like I want to be like her when she 's on stage, and so I thought that you do that by doing what she did and then I had this like incredible career, and I, I, it was a lot it was talent, but it was a lot of luck and like being at the right place at the right time and um, and all of a sudden, I found myself doing film after film after film and traveling all over the world and meeting these incredible people. And, you know, I'm almost like ashamed to say, but I always felt like there was this piece missing from my professional life. And I almost was like, it was almost embarrassing to still question that because I had so much success. Um, And
1: everyone out there thought it was perfect.
2: Right. And so, you know, but I would find myself like in... Italy doing a film and trying to crack the code of the city and, like, ask, you know, the camera truck drivers, like, where do you eat pizza? Because my concierge is giving me, like, bad tips or, you know, like, getting beauty information from makeup artists or, you know, then if I was somewhere being invited to the embassy for dinner and sitting next to some incredible PhD or something, and I thought, God, this is, like, all this is what I really want to do and, I, and this is very early on like I had no idea how this I. this was in the
1: kitchen days
2: this was way before the kitchen days this is sure. like the seeds being planted of I want to somehow do something where I'm connecting people with good stuff um, and, then I, and then I had my daughter and like by that point I had been doing three movies a year, five movies a year and luckily I had gotten to a point where I could take some time off mm-hmm. which a lot of young mothers cannot do
1: nope. nope but i think the average american mother by the way has to go back to work 10 days after she has a child insane. so let's just fix that in this country by the way but yes you yeah. had that opportunity
2: so i just took some time off and i was home and then i started to think like god i really don't want to go back go back and then i realized it's not just that i didn't want to go back to work, I realized, like I don't know if I want to go back to that. And so then I had a philosophical crisis because I didn't know what that would mean. And I didn't know, like by that point, I was so Gwyneth Paltrow. And I was like, well, what if I don't want to be that anymore? And what, what does that mean? And who am I? And am I worth anything if I'm not famous? And so I went through this whole kind
1: <laughs> of crisis. And then in your words, you jumped off the, you know, the proverbial cliff. Right. Yeah, you th- think you've landed on your feet so far?
2: Well, it depends on the day. <laughs> but um, but yeah, then I I sort of got the idea that I wanted to start something, and I very gingerly tried to start something.
1: Um, what struck me preparing for this is that you have said you felt like more of an imposter starting Goop. Oh, yeah. Um, and we know women often suffer from imposter syndrome. They think they're not qualified enough for a job. I think that all the time, even though I have the job I have. And I wish I didn't, but I do. Right. You went through this. Do you still feel like an imposter as a CEO?
2: Sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Well, I think there's just so much to learn. And... Um, and also, like, the provenance of, you know, how I got here, it's uh, unusual. And I didn't, I didn't finish college. I, didn't, I don't have an MBA.
1: And Your I've dad had... told you to drop out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, he sort of did tell me to drop out, because I was starting to get some traction as an actor. Yeah. Um, but I, I really had, you know, I, I had kind of no business starting a business. <laughs> so... I've had to really, really learn on the job. And so, you know, there are still days where, you know, something comes across my desk and I think, I don't, I don't know what I don't know about this. Like,
1: so. And you've called that the scariest thing for you as a leader, not knowing what you don't know. That is the scariest thing for me. So how do you handle it? I mean, I, like, are you unafraid to ask, quote unquote, dumb questions?
2: I, I was really afraid to ask dumb questions in the beginning. And, um. I would be sort of like in a meeting especially with the acronyms you know oh, God. like oh yeah. man so I'd be like you know in a meeting like googling like what is a SaaS business like what <laughs> like I'm going to try and like what is what is AUR I know that I know that what is an AUR wait why is that different from an AOV let me just like <laughs> you know and then finally, I was like, fuck it. Like, what is the SaaS business? You know, like, there you go. I, I, <laughs> like, I can't, I, I can't know what I don't know. And if I'm, if I'm too scared to be vulnerable to ask the question, it's gonna take me three times as much to learn everything. And I think we need more vulnerable leaders in business, you know?
1: What? Amen. I think we do too. I ask things too. I just have gotten sort of over maybe it's like exhaustion from two kids and just. And I'm like, what does that mean? Tell me, stop. Um, But it's scary to do that for sure. And I think it's scary when people have a perception of you, whatever perception they have.
2: I think it's scary until you decide like asking questions is not a measure of lack of intelligence. Like you might be ignorant about something, and the way to cure that is to ask the question.
1: Yeah. Why, what would America look like? What would the world look like, Gwyneth, with more vulnerable female leaders in business?
2: Well, I think we would have gotten a lot further than we've gotten so far. <laughs> um, you know, I, and I think it's part of sort of how I strive to be as a leader and, and empower the women that I, they, I work with who will go off and be CEOs of their own companies one day. And, mm-hmm. You know, I I try to lead from this model of like being a a, an actual woman and not and you know, harnessing all the great things that inherently come with being a woman and Mm -hmm. learning the male qualities more learning to embody those more in order to be an effective leader
1: and what male quality are you trying to embody to make you a more effective leader?
2: Um you know, I mean, I'm sort of speaking about like in archety- archetypal terms, you yeah. know? And um, so the, the masculine qualities are from, you know, the, in the archetypal world, it's, uh, it's sort of boundaries it's, um, and order, structure. Um, and so all of those things, you know, that I think as, as, a, as a woman, those don't come to me as, as naturally, you know, like... And saying no...
1: I've struggled with that a lot.
2: Giving people difficult feedback, I think that's harder for women somehow.
1: More from my interview with Goop founder and CEO Gwyneth Paltrow after the break. So I'm interested in who you are as a CEO, because for those of you who don't know, when Gwyneth started Goop, she was not always CEO. Um, actually, you didn't become CEO for eight years. Right. And as I understand it, you actually needed some... Is that right? I think seven for, or Seven yeah, or so. Yeah, something like that. You actually needed someone else to say, you should be the CEO. This is what you need to do yeah. for you to take it.
2: Yeah, that's actually true. I mean, I, I, I felt like I... First of all, I didn't... It wasn't... I mean, I didn't monetize the business at all until like five years into it. And then... I didn't know how to think my way around monetization, so, you know, I was like, oh, I need a grown-up, you know, to help me do this. Like, I don't know what, what. and um, it really ended up. I mean, it all it all ended up happening exactly how it was supposed to happen. And I think when I did hire a CEO, um, then I got to be close to and and my first CEO, Seb. He, I started to observe, like, oh, how the, the things that he was putting into place and starting to think about technology and starting to think about marketing and starting to think about product, et cetera. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then I just found myself so drawn to that part of, of the business. And, um, and it wasn't until, I think, a year later that I thought, you know, somebody said to me, you really should, should do this. Cool. This this woman who's kind of like been the godmother my whole whole time. Her name's Juliette de Bobigny. She's, She's a amazing. VC
1: yeah, out I, I met her a decade ago and I was so yeah. impressed. And I haven't seen her since. So she said this to you.
2: So she was the person who I was at a cocktail party in London, and I'd just been sending content, and she. Uh, approached me, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm, my name's Juliet, and I, I'm, I work at a VC called Kleiner Perkins. I had never heard of it. I didn't know what a VC was. And she said, you know, I, what are you going to do with this? And I said, you know, I don't know. I'd like to do something, and I, I don't know how. And she introduced me to my first CEO, and she's sort of shepherded me the whole way through. And I, I reached a point where I, I didn't really know what to do, and
1: she really encouraged me to do it. Did you know that the business could be even more than it was, and that if it was going to go there, you needed to lead as CEO?
2: I think I felt it instinctually on some level, and she said it. And so she sort of gave me permission.
1: So the numbers, it's a private company, obviously, so the books aren't open, but what you guys have released, 2018 revenue doubled over 2017. Prior to that, revenue tripled year over year for the last two years. Yeah. Aren't those numbers enough to tell you it's working?
2: (laughs) Yes, but yes, definitely up until that point. But then, you know, what do you do when growth starts to slow? And what do you do when Facebook changes its algorithm and your performance marketing starts to suck and you can't figure it out? Like, there's always something. Yeah.
1: Well, that's interesting. Have, I don't think you've hit a point yet where your revenue has started to slow. And Not yet. So, what are you doing to prepare for those moments? Because every business goes through them. Poppy, sorry. <laughs>
2: Um yeah, no, I think I think you know we're lucky at Goop because we have a few different revenue streams mm-hmm. and we can um you know press the throttle in different areas when we need to and um of course it will slow at some point. That's just the nature of how things go. But I think you know, before that point you try to create a business that is meaningful and you find and keep a, a good customer and a and a good reader and you know, you manage to nurture your, your customer as best you can. and
1: A good watcher. We'll get to the Netflix show in a minute. I'm really interested in this. But just before we move on from you as CEO, the culture. You give a book to everyone when they're hired. Uh-huh. There are five pillars of communication that literally are on your wall, I hear.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and someone told you your culture is your business plan.
2: Yes. Richard Lovett at CAA told me that. He's a, a mentor and a really good friend. And um, I was talking to him because he's kind of this magical, legendary leader at CAA, big agency in Los Angeles, I'm sure all of you know. I've heard of him. And um, CAA stands for Creative Artists Agency. agency in case, you know, you need some acronym help. <laughs> um, but he, he said that to me at some point, and it really stuck with me. It really stuck with me that your culture is your business plan. And I I, I know what he meant. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that if you have a place where people want to come to work and want to be productive and feel ownership Mm -hmm. and feel aligned and feel included, then you have a, a happy, productive workplace. And obviously, people are people we come to work with the burdens of our lives and the traumas of our childhood. And, you know, we all can't like be perfect all the time. But I think if you have a, a foundation of your culture that really supports, you know, highest good, then that's what we try to
1: do. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means for how you communicate with and work with and support your your employees? Because I, as I understand it, you're majority women. And um, I mean, something, for me happened that I think changed the rest of my professional career. Um, I was you know, struggling, I don't know if it, anyone at work knew it, but just as every parent does I think, with two little kids and getting up at four in the morning and um, I just, internally I was having a hard time. I felt like I was feeling at everything and my, my boss, Jeff Zucker, walked into my office and I have pictures of the kids all over the wall and he said to me, without a beat, just one morning checking in on the show, have as many kids as you can have as many kids as you can. (laughs) And I don't know how many leaders would say that, knowing it means you're out of work, you have less time for work. But that, for me, was my sort of moment. And I'm wondering how you foster that and what you talk about with your employees on the personal front and the professional front.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think what, It's been interesting because obviously you start and you're a few girls like in a room and you're, in our case, you know, we were trying to build something and now we're 250 people and I can't interact one-on-one with everybody in the company every day. Right. Um, And so I think, you know, as we've kind of gone through these different iterations of the business, um... It's been a real isu- it's been an issue on my mind like how does one maintain culture if you can't interact with everybody? And kind of over break it really struck me that over Christmas break, it really struck me that everybody at the company needs to be accountable for the culture and this idea of like top-down culture doesn't work and everybody needs to take responsibility for themselves, their words, their behavior. everybody needs to take responsibility for if they have a problem being honest, bringing their best self forward, expecting the other person to listen generously to what they have to say. Um, and if everybody's accountable for the culture and everybody knows that like back channeling is a waste of time and being toxic and being negative, you know, if you, so what I'm, that's just sort of what I'm trying to instill now. Like we are all responsible for this culture. It can't be me. You know, it can't be only at the exact level. Like it has to be all of us. It has mm-hmm. to be like bottom up as well. Um, and I think we just try to instill as best as possible, like we're, we are all in this together. And I think, you know, we have a weekly all hands where we're really transparent about what's going on at the company, our wins and our, our losses. Um, and so that everybody feels like they're in on the journey with us because they are like, Mm -hmm. I cannot do it without them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's kind of philosophically like that. And then, you know, trying to do smaller things that are meaningful you know we for example every August I close the company for two weeks and it really gives people a chance to shut their computer and reset and um and some you know some people are like that's crazy you know and I'm like it's not crazy I started in I started the company well but wasn't really a, well yeah I started <laughs> in England and in Europe people Take yes. some time off. And we don't do that in America. And the idea of synchronized time off, because I can take a vacation, but if, my, if Slack messages and emails are coming through... It's
1: not really. It's
2: not. And same for everybody else at the company. So if we can... So have, you
1: have unlimited leave?
2: We have unlimited uh, vacation, yeah, as well. Uh, and it, only one person has ever abused it. Okay. Do they still work there? They do not still work there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, is it really true that people have asked you if there is secretly a man running this business? Yes. That's ridiculous. Yes, they have. What did you say? Um, Or did you just walk away?
2: (laughs) Well, it's only, it's sort of been like implied to me, but uh, Nura, our incredible head of communications. I mean, can you imagine being the head of communications at goop.com and the shit she has to deal with all day? (laughs) She's incredible. And um, you know, she has had Male reporters literally ask her, like, who is the silent male? Oh, my God. Yeah. What does she say? She says there is no silent male. What mail. did you say when
1: you heard that?
2: I said, that is unsurprising and sad, but illuminating.
1: Yeah, there you go. Illuminating. That's a good way to put it. So um, I do think I've always had male Mentors, and I know there are a lot of important male mentors in your yeah, life. Yeah, I have a lot of male mentors. C- can you talk a little bit about some of what they've taught you? I know you have said, "I want a female mentor." I mean, but... Juliet is a real there female mentor yeah. to me. But um, I am like Brian Chesky or Mark Mark Laurie and yeah. what they've taught you for the business.
2: I mean, I sort of reach out to different mentors for different issues. Mark Lori, who founded Jet and now sold it to Walmart. Um, He's an e-commerce wizard, and so he's probably the person I reach out to most for like specific questions. Um, And Brian Chesky from Airbnb is an amazing, he's been incredible too. He's just, the way that he thinks about business and marketing and culture, it's, it's disruptive and it's exciting and, um, he's full of energy and full of ideas. I always feel very inspired after a conversation with him. A lot of my mentors are <laughs> a lot younger than me too, like <laughs> the guys that, who founded Sweetgreen. Yeah. We, we talk a lot too. and I, f- I feel lucky I have really, um, I, I found a nice group of, of people. And, I, and actually my, my biggest investor is a, a VC called NEA, and they're incredible. And they have recently started putting together some CEO dinners, which is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially in the consumer space. Is
1: there there a most helpful piece of advice one of those leaders has given you? um,
2: Well, Bob Iger, I speak to sometimes when I can get 10 minutes with him. The
1: head of Disney.
2: He's my idol. And... um, he said something to me a couple years ago because we do a lot of different things at Goop, and he said to me, "Don't waste your time on anything that's not going to really move the needle." And that really stayed with me. So I always like run everything through that filter. And it doesn't mean it can't be a small thing, mm-hmm. but it has to really ultimately move the needle.
1: The New York Times piece on you the, a few days ago said that you draw a lot of inspiration from Disney, and I keep trying to draw the line so help me understand how disney might inform goop
2: so a few years ago i was walking through disneyland with my daughter for her birthday with her friends and we got into the park and oh sorry as we walked through to the park i saw like oh disney cruises and disney hotel and we got into the park and she they all got the Minnie mouse ears which are a fortune i
1: know
2: so I was like, "Ridiculous!" Yeah, I wonder what the margin on these ears are, you know, like, good Lord. You know, and then we, we went to their like F and B and, and then, um, and then we went through, it's a small world. And at the end of the ride, it said brought to you by Siemens. And it just sort of clicked like, oh my gosh, like, obviously I'm a P size company compared to Disney, but like, this is actually what I'm trying to do. Like take content. And create business lines from the content, like much like bi- Disney does. Yeah. So they have content at the center, and they make content, content, and then they have all of the ancillary product, and they have brand partnerships, and they have travel and F&B, and I was like, this is what I'm trying to do for my demographic and in my own way, obviously, and obviously have a long way to go, but I hold it as like a... If I had a vision board, it would be on my vision board. Goopland. <laughs> yeah, it's got a good ring to it, right?
1: There's your headline, folks. <laughs> uh, content, perfect segue into the Netflix show. So this is coming out end of 2019, early 2020, mm-hmm. and your chief content officer, who I hear is, I'd love to meet her, she sounds fascinating. Everything I've read about what, what she's building alongside you has called it potentially disruptive. What are you bringing to Netflix?
2: Well, I mean, Netflix is pretty brave. They're pretty disruptive in their content. Um, But I think, you know, for us, really, I think it's just um, an opportunity to kind of do deeper dives into some of the subjects that we're really interested in and kind of really get into it with some experts and um, do the experiments on TV, et cetera. Do the experiments on TV. Yeah. We're leaving the vagina out of it. Don't okay. worry. Okay. So
1: it's PG. It's PG. Are you in all of six episodes? I'll be in all six to varying degrees, yes. Okay, to be continued. You brought Facebook up earlier. Okay. I want to talk about Facebook. You don't use it. You've never used it. No. And you said too much reliance on Facebook is not a good thing. You changed your strategy, Goop strategy, um, after the Cambridge Analytica scandal, I am really interested in why. Was that a moral opposition to what Facebook is doing?
2: I don't think... It's, it's, it's less a moral opposition, although I really do have an issue with some of the way that that was handled. Um, and I think, you know, they do as well. I think that, you know, when, when you are trying to build a business and all of a sudden... I mean, it was actually such a great thing that happened... Um, they changed the algorithm, our performance marketing took a nosedive, and it was a culmination of all these events, and I thought, you know, 80% of our growth is reliant, is, is, we're reliant on Facebook for 80% of new customer acquisition, et cetera, and I was like, this is just not sustainable, and, and, you know, we have this opportunity, which not a lot of businesses, of commerce businesses have, which is. We can create a lot of relevance for ourselves in the media. We can get a lot of organic traffic. Um, so it sort of, for me, becomes more about how do you convert that mm-hmm. more than how, like, just going after this, like, LTV
1: to CAC. I have no idea what those two things Sorry. mean. Uh, um, I need to Google that, but I no. don't have a phone. Just like, so. What, so,
2: so basically, like a couple of years ago when you were trying to raise money all VCs were looking at that ratio like what is it co- what is your cost to acquire a customer Got it. and what is that customer worth in the long term what is their lifetime value and it was a metric that everyone was super focused on um, and it just seems really it seemed really dangerous to me all of a sudden like this this you have to be building a business where it's resonant and it's meaningful and people are having a good experience either in real life or digitally but the idea of like buying a customer and then kind of praying that they stick around, I was like, this doesn't seem sustainable. So that was a great wake up call for me when okay. that happened. And um, we were able to really shift our strategy to other things and then going forward thinking about it, you know, how are we gonna do it in a way where you kind of leverage that organic interest in the brand more.
1: Um, but you love Instagram, which they I own. do love Instagram. It's effective for Goop? It is effective for Goop, yeah. Because people can click on the shop now and buy it. Like, I just I think mean the, Because the contextual commerce is your play. Yeah,
2: I think that's part of it. And I think, you know, we're living for better or worse in an age where social media is critical in brand building.
1: More from my interview with Goop founder and CEO Gwyneth Paltrow after the break. Let me ask you about Amazon and Jeff Bezos. Okay. Um, little tech company. Uh, word on the street, or word in the Wall Street Journal, is that you emailed Jeff Bezos. You want to talk to him, and he hasn't written you back. So three questions: Has he written you back yet? What do you want to ask him? And would you sell Goop to Amazon?
2: <laughs> um, so after the Wall Street the, in the Wall Street Journal, they asked me about my mentors, as you have, and they said, has that, "Have you?" And I said, "Oh, sometimes I like cold call people." And they said, "Well, has anyone not called you back?" And I said, "Yes, Jeff, Jeff Bezos." So after that came out, I got an email, and it said the subject was Jeff Bezos, and the sender was Jeff Bezos. And the body of the email said, hi there, Gwyneth. The Wall Street Journal told me you want to talk to me. (laughs) Um, So I wrote him back. And um, then he wrote me, and then I said, you know, I would die for the opportunity to like sit down and ask you a bunch of questions. And uh, he never wrote me back.
1: Seriously? <laughs> oh man.
2: No, but he's got a lot going on. Jeff guys. Bezos. Glennon's love... call is,
1: called, is for, like the only guy that never wrote you back. No, i mean, no. He, um, uh... What? He's, what do you he's busy? He's busy. <laughs> what do you? Um, what's the most important question you want to ask him? And um, you're not going to avoid this one. Would you ever sell Goop to Amazon? <laughs> uh, I
2: guess. I guess I would just want to ask him. I mean, I, there are so many things I would want to ask him, but um, I guess fundamentally, like you know, he's he sort of gives himself license at every turn to go into every business, and I wanna, I would want to psychologically understand that kind Why? of. The why and the like—the engine behind that—I'm just fascinated by him. Would I sell my company to Amazon? Uh, I mean, sure. Why not?
1: Maybe I I think he's gonna call you now. You do? Uh huh. Um, I do think he's gonna call you now. (laughs) Global reach. I would, this surprised me, this number, 25% of Goop's readership is international. Yeah. So the U.S. is obviously your biggest market now. Yes. But you clearly have a really long-term play and vision here. So what's it going to be? China, India, Europe?
2: I think we'll, 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 start, we'll start in Europe. We now ship mm-hmm. to most European countries. Um, and I think, I think we'll go where the audience is. We'll start there. So I think we'd like to go into Australia. And um, we're in Canada. We're in most of Northern Europe, as I said. You know, I think I've, I've, done, I've built this business very slowly, you know, and with a lot of intention. And I think I'm, I'm really grateful that my investors understand that I... It's important that we build it slowly and with a lot of authenticity. So I think when we have the time and the resources to really create an international strategy and and do it, like we will, but right now I think we're focused on on America.
1: I'd like to talk about what has been, I don't know if it's been your greatest challenge, but it's been a challenge for sure, Um, and that is some of the controversy that has surrounded Goop, not about controversial pieces that have been written per se, but about some of the products um, and some of the claims made on the products previously. Last year, Goop settled uh, with the California District Attorney's Office, 145 thousand dollar settlement over some claims about what some things could do Um, and as you note, you did not admit any wrongdoing wanted to put this
2: and had no customer complaints ever about about that about
1: either of them one jade eggs and one was a a, an oil that said it could prevent depression that's been covered what i want to know is what you learned from it what you did about it yeah and if it's made goop a better company
2: for sure so I think when you start a company, especially with a content company, part of, the, part of the thing that we did at Goop was just sort of try to uncover interesting things, right? So it could be a great taco place in Austin or it could be some interesting sounding healing modality. So we were a young company and we didn't understand um, that, for example, we could sell something on the site and we thought, oh, well on that person's website it says what it does and so we'll, we'll repeat that it says those things, but we didn 't understand that you can 't make certain claims like we didn 't understand about compliance and regulation like we just we just thought we were like writing a blog you know um, and so it 's been an incredible lesson because also we came to understand the power of our influence and that we carry a great responsibility there. And so we had to hire a regulatory team and in-house scientists and lawyers, and we got all buttoned
1: up. And, um, but you say you had to. I mean, you didn't have to. You, well, these, we want to. These you were know? conscious choices you made. Yeah. I mean, one of your, I think the director of science and research is a former Stanford professor. Yes. It sounds like, Gwyneth, you're taking this very seriously and have made some big changes.
2: Yeah, because also like I think we recognize that we are at the the front of this a lot of these topics and um, we want to make and sell products that do what they say and that are efficacious and have the right claims behind them, etc. And um, it was definitely a process and it was a a painful lesson to learn at the time, but then you come out the other side, and you're like, this is actually fantastic, and now we're sort of helping all of these young, mostly female-led companies get through our compliance portal, and they don't have the resources, they don't have the science and research team or the lawyers to help them understand what claims they can make and not make on their websites, and so they have to go through our whole regulatory Everything process now. Everything is
1: fact-checked, edited...
2: Correct, And so by the time we sell it on our website, we've actually, you know, helped a lot of these companies out a lot, which is very cool, I think. What was it like? We don't want them to have to make some of the same mistakes that we've made.
1: What was it like for you personally as a leader? I mean, this isn't just a company that you run. This is like you embody this company. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just interested in personally, what there were obviously a lot of headlines about it. Sure. What was your struggle like internally?
2: I mean... For me, it's just like, okay, this is this is the challenge. What is the solution? And how can we all be a better company by taking the challenge and using it as an opportunity and a building block, you know, as opposed to getting super bummed out about it? It's like everything that happens to you that feels like a body blow, that, like, the size of the body blow is the size of the opportunity.
1: Well, if you look at the numbers, uh, it, it, don't, it just... I mean it almost seems as if the more controversy there is the better goop does financially the more people come i mean you know you were quoted as saying the cultural firestorms i can monetize those eyeballs
2: yeah that's it's true i mean you know what i always find really funny too it's like what is a controversy you know it's like people love to talk about like ooh, goop is controversial and it's like Really? Because we're talking about like female sexual health. Is it book partly about women? Of course it is. I mean, if you look at like look at our country today and look what actually a controversy is, you know. And then look at look at this. Then look at like us talking about like the power of orgasm and people having a fucking nervous breakdown on the internet. It's <laughs> like, wait, what? That's not a controversy, you know? You know what I mean? So, I think. Yes, I do. Yeah. So I think you also have to. We have to calibrate a little bit, you know, that, and understand that a lot of this stuff, yes, of course, like, now we've gotten really buttoned up around those stuff and made some great corrections that we're really proud of. But at the same time, like, a lot of those things have been around women's empowerment, women's sexual health. Like, that's where the sort of controversy lies a lot of the time, which I find really fascinating. Goop
1: men? Is that coming? You've not ruled it out.
2: We haven't ruled it out. I think we have, I think part of the thing that we have to really embody is that um, because we have a media business and a commerce business and an eponymous business, CPG business and clothing business and a multi-brand business, mm-hmm. I think we have a lot of opportunity. We talk about food. We talk about wellness. We talk about a lot of different things. And so I think focus is important. hmm um,
1: Some of the biggest brands have gone astray when they went into too many things too fast. Right.
2: I think we have to really focus on our core reader and shopper. The woman,
1: for now. For now, I think. Maybe Jeff Bezos is going to want a <laughs> men. Uh, pot, marijuana, yes. the CBD space. Oh, yeah, girl. I know nothing about it. I know nothing about it, um, but I'm super interested. In That's because you
2: don't live in California. You're right.
1: I don't live enough, um, but I'm super. I'm fascinated by all the st- stores that have popped up on my block in Brooklyn with CBD in the window. And my friend who runs a CBD company, Gossamer, and she's like, knows that I'm the least informed, but I'm interested in it, and I think it could be a huge business play. And I'm wondering if you want to play in it.
2: It will be a huge business. It is a huge business. Um, I think we will, but I think to the earlier point in the conversation, I think, you know, it's still really hard to ha- have a payment processor to process CBD. Like there are things, it's, we're very early. It's a little bit like the wild west. Yeah. A lot of it is really unregulated. The supply chain is really opaque. So I think we will go into it when we can do it in a way that's, you know, above board. Gotcha. and. You know, the laws keep changing every day, and so I think we'll we'll do it, we wanna do it, and I think it's a good space for us to go into, but I think we will when the time is right. Okay.
1: Um, Let's talk about accessibility and the price point. Um, A number of Goop items are very expensive, you know that, you've embraced it. Uh, And I'm interested in if that is the play, because you've said it's crucial to me that we remain aspirational. Does Ash- but that doesn't have to mean from right. a price point. Does it, so are you interested in broadening out Goop in terms of the, obviously the content's free, but in terms of the clothing, some of the items, for, to a lower price point, to a more mass market? Or is that sort of antithetical to what Goop and what you've built? I mean, the
2: way I look at it is in different tiers. Like we 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 built the brand, the multi-brand fashion business is, is really it's uh, more of a contemporary price point. If you look at Net-a-Porter or some of these other like it's we're not a luxury site, um, like in a quantifiable way, we're not. Like our we have mostly contemporary, some designer, some really expensive like uh, resale things, um, and so in, on the multi-brand side. In fashion, Yes, we're more kind of aspirational. But I think we look at it in different tiers. So when I talk about aspirational, I don't mean necessarily price point. I mean aspiring to feeling better, aspiring to maybe using a product that doesn't have endocrine disruptors or plastic in it. And we cater to all those different price points. It's funny. I, I was talking to Greg Renfrew the other day from Beauty uh,
1: at, 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 Goop, at In Goop Health. At In some Goop and- Health.
2: And Greg was talking about on the panel, as I said to her, you know, um, a lot of the the beauty counter products, which are non-toxic, you know, how do you, you you can go to a drugstore and get something for a lot less expensive. Like, how do we, how do we address that? Because for us, non-toxic product is key. The idea that women are slathering themselves and men with, you know, product which can be largely transdermally absorbed and is known to have things, you know, we have so many untested chemicals in our personal care products and I think it's going to be something I think the consumer is shaping the market you see that um, but it is more expensive to create a product that isn't filled with plastic mm-hmm. um, so hopefully the consumer will continue to shape it and drive the price of things down um, but really on if you actually go to goop like we have all different price points it's not only expensive things it's a little bit of a misconception goop
1: without Gwyneth You've said I didn't name this GwynethPaltrowOnline.com for a reason, right? But in so many ways, Goop is you, and you are Goop. I sound all meta. Yeah, but I mean, can you? It seems to me like you want to build this business far beyond you.
2: I would like to. I think if you, if you, there are examples of businesses that long outlive the founder. Disney. <laughs> Disney, um, and I think that. I'm really intentionally trying to build a business that's far bigger than I ever was as a celebrity. And um, we're trying to build a heritage lifestyle brand that will outlive me.
1: You want more people to know the name Goop in this world than Gwyneth Paltrow?
2: Yes, ideally. Do you think they will? I think so. I hope so. Um,
1: I uh, Covering business for you know, the better part of a decade, have noticed a sea change in businesses and CEOs being willing to stand up for and speak out on social issues and political issues, sometimes controversial issues that are not have nothing to do with their business. Right. If you look at what Howard Schultz at Starbucks started doing or Mark Benioff at Salesforce, Patagonia, for example... Mm-hmm. Should we expect to see more of that from Goop and from you um, taking a stand on some issues not related to your core business where you think maybe the government is failing?
2: It's an interesting question. You know, I think, I think we're at a point in time in our country where things are so divided and it's really become about two ideologies and nobody seems to be truly listening to each other. And so I'm, I'm, more, I'm more concerned with that I'm more concerned with the consciousness of like shutting down and not listening and self-righteousness, and how does one affect that? Because you know, at, at Goop, we have within the company people with very different political opinions about a lot of different things, um, and I, I I really feel like to just get on a soapbox and opine about something. Um, I think you're preaching to the converted. Like that's all that seems to be happening. Everybody's preaching to the converted. So I'm more interested in how can we get people listening to each other more? I think that's more important than who cares, like who I vote for or what I think ultimately.
1: That's interesting. I mean, you have the whole summit side of your business. Do you, have, do you think about ways to convene people together in public spaces? building on what you already do to have conversations about civility in this country and working together and where on earth, you know, we go from this divided point.
2: But I think that's what we try to do when we try to um, interview people about mindfulness or meditation. Um, it's, It's what we try to do when we give out that book, when people start at the company about listening generously, about speaking straight to each other, about respect. I think, I think that's, that's really the underlying issue more than anything else.
1: If we could talk for just a little bit about your children and go back to the beginning, work, sure. work ethic, because you've said that work ethic is something that you are teaching your daughter and focusing on a lot. And you got that from your father and your mother. Um, how, what have you taught them as a CEO mother? I mean, you know, I think they just observe
2: my life and they observe the things that I go through. And I try to leave work by four every day, which is early for a CEO, um, because I want to finish the day working from home with them around the kitchen table, and they do their homework, and I'm there. And I think, especially at this age, a lot of a lot of what they need is just my presence. Um, and so they know what I do. My son is really interested in business and e-commerce. And um, How old is he now? He's, he'll be 13 in a couple weeks. So, um, you know, and my daughter is, like, very into her own. She's really on her own, you know, teenage trip right now. <laughs>
1: I'm looking um, forward to that with my Yeah.
2: And, but I think they, they see how hard I work. They see how much I care. Uh, they, they come to my office, they know my team, mm-hmm. and I'm always there to answer questions about what I do, etc.
1: Do you think America, corporate America as a whole, and it doesn't work in every business, it doesn't work at restaurants or service businesses, but just needs to get better at and be more committed to uh, allowing that for, for just the average parent, more flexibility, more time with their children?
2: I think that um, we need to culturally let go of this idea that to be so strapped, to be so over, you know, to have over responsibility, like, we wear that as a badge of honor, you know? Like, I work 24-7. I'm always available. You know? why do we brag about that? I don't know. And I think, I hope that as a country, we will start to embrace a life-work balance that is healthier for us and our children. And I hope that companies start to wake, be more conscious about that. Up.
1: You told Oprah, I was listening. So the first podcast that Gwyneth, if you didn't know, she also has a podcast, scoop podcast, did, was with Oprah, the Oprah. And you told her... Um, that you suffer from the disease to please. (laughs) yeah. And that struck me because I think a lot of us do, but we don't say it.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to let that go. I think it's really important to let that go. And I think, you know, it's my observation that a lot of women in our culture or even globally, we are raised to please, to be like the cool chick, that's like, cool, I'm cool with anything, um, and I actually think it's not good for us. And I think it's really important to and, and you know, going back to my daughter, I try to raise her to be in touch with what she actually feels, and then speaks on that. And I think that's something that I didn't start
1: to learn until I was in my late 30s, really. What have they said to you, your son and your daughter, about being a leader, being a CEO?
2: I mean, I think my, my son is sort of, clo- you know, he's closer to it just because he were, you know, he really does his homework next to me. <laughs> Literally. He, like, peeks at my Excel spreadsheets and asks, like, what what's going on? And we talk about business. Um, but I try not to, I, I don't know. I always say, like, I think children are just on their mother's Wi-Fi. And so... Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're doing, they're sort of absorbing it on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't talk a lot about my job unless they ask me questions. And, but I do think that they, I think they feel my passion. I think they feel my focus. Um, and then, you know, I don't wanna force anything down their throat. Proud of you? Are they? Yeah, they are. I took my daughter to Saturday Night Live. <laughs> with me and she like finally
1: thought I was cool finally <laughs> it took this long all right but before we wrap up here um who's um, who has been the most instructive and important person in your life and why that's
2: impossible I mean I have like I've had so many incredible people
1: or in- perhaps on this goop journey and, and it, stretching these muscles and building this well
2: I have to say um, that my husband has been really incredible in terms of, you know, he's the one that's been over the last whatever four years with me on the journey in terms of my ups and downs, my struggles. You know, he's been with me on the days where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, this is over. And then a week later where, you know, I'm like, I am awesome. This is working. <laughs> and then the next week where I'm like, I'm a failure. Like,
1: So I'm not the only one who does that to no, my poor no, husband? No. Ugh.
2: And he has this incredible steadiness that he brings. And he's like this rock solid person that will point out. He's so observant. And he'll just point out to me, no, this happened. And you got through it. And remember yeah. when that happened. And. So I think like most fundamentally, he's the person that Hmm. gets me through it.
1: Do you remember when Sheryl Sandberg said years ago, before she lost her husband, Dave Goldberg, um, I think she wrote this in Lean In, um, something along the lines of the most important professional decision you will make is who you marry. I don't remember that, that's amazing. Do you think it's true? It's been for me. I mean,
2: look, I think there's an aspect of that that's true, but also, like, we sometimes marry the wrong people, like, we, and that's also a beautiful part of life, like, sometimes a relationship that's the wrong relationship teaches you more about who you are and where you're going than than anything else, so, um, look, it's great if we, like, get it right and we have children with the right guy, like you have. She
1: didn't say the first time. Right, right. But I think I think I mean he may be your new husband. He's for right now. I think look at what he's done to help you build right?
2: I think that you know, when you have somebody in your life that can hold the big picture for you, whether that's your romantic partner or your best friend, you know, from seventh grade who's with me here today, like Is that true? Yeah. She's right there, Julia. Um if you have people in your life that can help you hold the big picture, that's critical.
1: So one minute left, 27 seconds left. Um, you have no yes, Brad no Pitt intention. was a, no, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Brad Pitt was what? <laughs> I don't know what I mean. Like um, we could talk about Brad Pitt. No, um, you have no intention of slowing down. Congratulations on what you've built. Thank you. Um, what's going to tell you I succeeded at this? Wow. Um,
2: I don't know. Okay.
1: So let's come back here in a few years and check in. Okay. Gwyneth Paltrow, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. a lot. Thanks, thank <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Poppy Harlow
0: CNN.